You want to get your Bibles out, turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to continue our study in this book. Um, if you're a little concerned about the size of this book and how long we're going to be in Isaiah, uh, I hope this lesson kind of helps you to uh, feel a little bit relieved, maybe a little bit excited about the book of Isaiah because uh, what we see tonight is a very practical lesson for us, a very easy to apply uh, kind of lesson. And really this book is full of those and it's also full of a lot of really wonderful uh, foretellings of the future, things that very much apply to us. But this one really hits home as we study it together and I hope that you'll see that. Uh, we do uh, plan to move our way through this entire book, but I'll probably take a break at some point and uh, we'll study other things, maybe go through some other topics, uh, things of that nature. Um, but I do, I do foresee this to take a little while for us to get through this book. Uh, but I'm really excited about it. Uh, as we study together, we're going to see, uh, we've been seeing how uh, God's people have been rebellious. They've been defiant and rebellious against God. He's done everything right to raise them up the way that they should go, but they haven't really cared anything for him. Uh, they brought huge numbers of sacrifices and, and trampled his courts, it said earlier in chapter 1, uh, to try to offer up sacrifices to God. But he says, I don't really care about that. I want your heart. I want you to actually love me, and I want you to submit to me. And if you will do that, if you will submit to me, then I'll, I'll cleanse you of all your sins. I will make uh, your sins, which are as scarlet as crimson, I'll make them white as snow, white as wool. I'll, I'll cleanse you completely. And that's what God desires to do for all of us. That's, that's interesting as we studied through that. I said that's the gospel, essentially. The statement that uh, you've been living a rebellious and stubborn life, uh, you know, just, just doing whatever you want to do and thinking that you're okay, and then it, it hits you that... You're not okay, and that you need salvation, and God is there offering salvation. That's the New Testament gospel that we read about. Well, today we're going to read even more about that, more details about the gospel. But uh, he's really going to lay out for us uh, the problem of sin in the world. As we study through the prophets, we're going to see a lot of discussion about sin. Uh, sin is not something that our world really likes to talk about. Uh, they don't like to bring that up or, or, or consider the things that are sinful or evil. That's kind of a taboo word in our culture, in our society, to talk about anything being sinful or evil. But God is not afraid of that. He wants it to be out in the open. He wants us to understand it uh, so that we stay away from sin and so that we choose the right way to live. Uh, and so what he helps us understand as we study this is the results of sin. Uh, and the reason why we shouldn't choose sin. So let's, let's study this together. First of all, read verses 21 through 23 with me. It says, How the faithful city has become a whore. She who is full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Let us hear the description of um, this rebellious people and the things that have gone on as a result of rebellion. They have forsaken God. They have rebelled against God in the first 20 verses. We've kind of seen that. They've decided, ah, we don't, we don't really need God's word. We don't really need God's law. Uh, and they've, they've left God behind. 
And now the result of that, that rebellion, that relationship being broken, is a society that is full of evil. Once was considered this faithful city. This beautiful city full of righteousness, full of justice. Everyone from everywhere would come to Jerusalem to hear the wisdom that, that was coming out of Jerusalem. The righteous judgments that were coming from its judges, its kings. And now it's full of, he says, murderers and thieves. And those who take bribes. You see how leaving God's word, leaving God's ways results in a a breakdown of society. Those who fail to recognize God degenerate. They do the opposite of progressing in the right direction. They digress. They don't evolve. They devolve. They become worse than what they should be, what God created them to be. And so God is, is pointing out to them that in your society, if you just look around, you left me and now look where you are. Look at the moral status, the moral standards that you're upholding. There are none. Truth is null and void. It doesn't matter. It's not, not something you care about. You don't care about what's really right or what's really wrong. You care about getting what you want. There's a lot of murder, uh, stealing, bribe-taking. You know, bribe-taking means somebody was guilty and you let them go because they paid you some money. So, so that, that just covers all kinds of sins and evil that is just being allowed to go rampant because somebody wants more money. And money ultimately is the bottom line for them. This is, as you, as you read through this and you study it, you see that this is essentially what's going on in our society. I mean, this is so practical. This is so in line with everything that, that we see. And it makes us uncomfortable really to think about, but that's absolutely the case. Our nation at one time promoted God, spoke about God, uh, encouraged people to pray to God. And now it's taboo. It's something that we don't really talk about, uh, something that's not really held up. And we've seen the moral standards slowly start to degrade. So if you thought that was a new thing, <laughs> that, wow, look at how our society has just degenerated, how it's just gone downhill so quickly no, it's not new. That's something that's happened before. God is not surprised at this. He is used to seeing this kind of thing. Uh, nations rise and nations are righteous and they're, they're pursuing justice and goodness. And then they, they, they're pursuing God. And then they leave God and everything falls horribly wrong. And society is full of murders. We have school shootings now, right? Uh, and, and mass shootings in abundance. We have all kinds of injustices, thievery, robberies, uh, you know, looting, and all these different kinds of things that are going on in our society. Are we surprised? Should we be surprised? Well, no, that's the same thing that we see happening to Jerusalem. We see happening to God's people. Uh, and so as we read this, it's really easy for us to see the application, but consider this. This isn't talking about outsiders. This is talking about God's people. This is talking about the people who know what the truth is and they don't care about it. Now, there's a lot of people out there today who don't know what, what the truth is. It's not that they know and they don't care. There's a lot of those. Uh, but 
those who know, those who are God's people, are committing these kind of evils and injustices in society. They've given in to their temptations and their desires to, to allow for injustices so that they have physical gain in their lives. And so we need to think a little bit more deeply about what about us. We need to do a self-assessment. Have we left God behind? Have we uh, just taken his word and put it off for, for another day and not really cared about God? And are we opening the door for all kinds of evil and immoral things to come up in our lives? We see that's the result. If we do that, this happens. It's, it's repeatable. You'll see this in the prophets over and over again. You forsake God, and then all of a sudden, the people who were once the people of God, the, the pillars, the righteous uh, city, become so evil that all the nations around are looking at them like, that's horrible. Ooh, those people are awful, and they call themselves God's people, and that's the way they're being looked at. And so we got to be very aware of what we're doing to make sure that we're not falling into this same kind of thing. You keep studying and reading, you notice that uh, God is, uh, well, even before that, it mentioned verse 22, he says, The silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. It's this picture of, you were, you were this precious metal to me, and you've become the dross. You become something that's useless. Uh, you, were, you were like well-aged wine, and now you've been mixed with water, and you don't really have any good taste anymore. Uh, God had his people created to give him value, and they've lost their value. Now continue. Verse 24. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself. On my foes, I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Notice God is saying, I'm going to bring my wrath against my enemies. But the enemies are not outside the nation of Jerusalem, Judah, uh, Israel, they are within. That The pure uh, silver has, has dross all over it, and that's the wicked people who call themselves God's people. And he says, I'm going I'm to bring my wrath against them. I'm going to bring destruction against them. They're going to be removed like dross. If you're not familiar with dross, you, you probably need to be familiar with this picture. Uh, if, you know, I, I went to engineering and learned some manufacturing processes and got to see all this really cool stuff, but... Uh, as, you, as you go into a manufacturing facility, they take the metals uh, that, that are not, that they're maybe they're, they're broken down out of some kind of mine or something like that. Uh, they melt it down. They, they just have real high heat furnaces. They melt it down so that uh, the, the, the lower temperature melting point metal, which is silver, gold, things like that, would become liquid and everything else would remain solid. Here's Kind of a picture of that, okay? So it's, it just pours out all the good stuff. And you see all the rock-hard stuff. That's just the dross. That's, that's the useless stuff. That's the trash that you want to get rid of so that you have pure silver, pure gold, 
uh, and things of that nature. So God says, I'm going to take my enemies and I'm just going to remove them so that all that's left is the pure, the silver. Uh, so it's a, a refining fire that he's going to put them in in order to bring out what's really valuable. And you see, he says, I'm going to restore the city of righteousness, that, that God is going to bring back righteousness to his city. This is what God wants. This is what God desires. A city set on a hill, a city that's full of light, that's full of righteousness, that all can see and understand what goodness is, what righteousness is. Uh, a city where the judgments are right and good, where the counselors are, are, are helping people and not manipulating people in order to uh, receive money or, or something along those lines, that they're all working for good and righteousness. And that's what God really desires to happen in the nation. And the only way that's going to happen is through this fire, through this judgment that he says. But notice he says something else after uh, he talks about the fire. Verse 27, he says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of their oaks, of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong, and the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. I notice here. God doesn't say, because there's evil amongst the city, because there's dross, we're just going to throw it all out. But he says, we're going to melt it down. And, and those who are pure and those who are going to be good and those who repent, I'm going to redeem by justice and righteousness. I'm not going to do anything unjust or unrighteous, but I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to buy them back. I'm going to make them my own city again. You see, that's what he wants above all else. He wants a city that is above all others, that is righteous and pure and, and a blessing to all the nations. That's, that's connecting to Abraham's promise, that an offspring of Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations. That's ultimately what God was after. Notice in this, he says he's going to punish all those who deserve it. If you look at verse 28 again, rebels and sinners shall be broken together. Those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. They've been rebellious, and he's pointed that out earlier. They, they refuse to acknowledge God. They refuse to submit to God. They refuse to know God and understand who he is. And he says, those who continue to do that, they're going to be punished. They're going to be broken. Uh, they're going to be, he says, brought low. Look at that. He says, uh, they'll be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, probably referring to some kind of uh, idolatrous you know, desire of um, oaks or, or, I don't know, some kind of idolatrous worship. Uh, but then he says, uh, you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers. You know, it's just the, you see this big, strong oak tree and it's time for the leaves to turn green and for it to start producing acorns or whatever. And instead, the leaves are just withered. You know, they're, they're, they're turning brown. You know it's diseased. You know it's going to die. 
Uh, and then he says a garden, uh, like a garden without water. Uh, you, you know what happens in drought. A garden without water. It may be this strong, beautiful garden, and then all of a sudden, right before it's bearing fruit, no water, and it starts shriveling and dying and turning yellow. Well, God's bringing this up because he has that power. The strong tree, the beautiful garden, relies on God to be beautiful, to be strong. And so all he has to do is remove what he's supplying, and they shrivel up and die. They have no strength in themselves. And he's making this point, the strong is going to become tender. And their work, a spark. They're going to set themselves on fire. They're going to destroy themselves in their wickedness. And that's what God has planned for them. All because they refuse to repent. I know that we, we kind of blew past that, but back in verse 27, it says, Zion shall be redeemed by justice, and those in her who repent by righteousness. You know, it's amazing as you look through this that God is, is, is telling us they're evil like Sodom and Gomorrah, he said earlier in chapter 1. They're, they're evil as resembling Sodom and Gomorrah. But he doesn't say, so I'm going to wipe them out like Sodom and Gomorrah. There's not going to be any remembrance of them anymore. But he says, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to buy them back. I'm going to take that evil city and I'm going to buy them back and I'm going to uh, send them through this furnace and they're going to come out the other side and they're going to be a beautiful city again. But only those who repent are going to be in that beautiful city. You see how God hasn't changed we come to the New Testament, we see the same kind of picture. Uh, in Acts 2, there's a judgment that's coming. Be saved from the judgment. Call upon the name of the Lord. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will be part of this everlasting kingdom, this everlasting city. Uh, you will be the city that's set on a hill, a city full of light and righteousness. And that's what God always desired in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He doesn't change in the Old and the New. It's always the same. And so as we study through Isaiah, I hope you understand and you get that feeling that this is the same God that we worship. And he's saying the same kinds of things to these people that he would probably be saying to us if we follow in their footsteps. We need to pay close attention to ourselves and to what God has to tell us. So let's talk about some lessons that we learned from this. First of all, of course, continual rebellion is going to lead to great evil. If we are just stubborn and just bent on doing the wrong things and doing whatever we want to do instead of doing what God has commanded us to do, God sees and he knows. He knows about all the evils that we're engaging in. He knows about all the evils of everybody in every place, that we're rebellious and stubborn and hard-hearted. He knows what's going on, and he's not going to accept that. If we choose to rebel against God, we are going to find that we ourselves are becoming more and more evil and wicked. We'll become perhaps even grossly immoral. And that's not what God wants. He doesn't want a stubborn, rebellious, defiant heart. He doesn't want us to go down that path and eventually become so immoral 
uh, that it's obvious that we're just evil. He wants to establish us as a city that is full of righteousness for all the world to see and know that he is an amazing God. For him to receive glory and honor as they behold the manifold wisdom of God in us being to his glory. Completely transformed from wicked, rebellious people to people who submit and love him. He wants to redeem us and he wants to restore us if we'll just repent. That's the lessons that we're supposed to learn from this text. And so as we study it, we need to be understanding that this is God's will for us. And we need to be asking ourselves the question, how then do I need to repent? It's the biggest question of our lives, isn't it? I've heard somebody say repentance is the bottleneck of salvation, and I couldn't agree more. And it just stuck with me once he said it. I was like, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. It's not hard to get baptized. It's not hard to come to church services to look the part. But true repentance is what God is after inside of us. It's the thing that was missing in the Israelites that led to their rebellious heart, their, their decision to just not acknowledge God, not seek to know God, not seek to obey God. It all just started from this rebellion inside of them about the command to be righteous, to be good and submit to the will of God. And that's ultimately what repentance is all about. It's about seeing our evil, feeling ashamed because we've done evil, and, and being willing to make a change in our lives. So how do we become willing to make a change in our lives? How do we become willing to repent and to do the things that God really wants us to do? How do we overcome the temptations and the pull of the world to do the things that we really want to do? They just are driving us. We see everybody else doing them. They're really fun. It seems like that's going to give us satisfaction. Well, notice from this text, we see that the end of that rebellion is kind of a bitter and miserable life. It's not a good life. A life that is apart from God is miserable. All these people, we're in, we're in Pride Month, y'all probably have heard something about that, or you will before too long, right? They like to flaunt that every, every June. They like to flaunt that. Uh, you know, it's interesting that, that they're promoting these kinds of things that are really essentially mental illness, I mean, that, that's going on. And they're promoting it as though it's, it's a great thing and it's a solution to your problems to just give in to this as truth, as, as a good thing, as right. But the truth is a lot of these people are just miserable. They don't feel like they belong in society. Um, and they're, they're searching for something that they're not finding. Because society and all the materialism and all the secularism will never provide the satisfaction that they're looking for. So they turn to sexual morality to try to find it. And that's where we are now. And so a lot of people are going through the transitions and all this kind of stuff's going on and... And, you know, so many years in, they're still not satisfied, and they end up committing suicide. You know, they, they think, oh, well, we'll say it's okay so that people won't feel ashamed and so that people won't commit suicide. Well, they're going to commit suicide anyway because the problem isn't that being recognized as okay in your mental illness and your problem. 
The problem is you're seeking satisfaction in this world and it will never be found. You'll never be satisfied because you, you are recognized as normal in your sin. And we ignore your sin. So we see the end is bitter and miserable. The end here, uh, a city that's full of injustice, a city that's full of murder. Uh, when, when people are stealing and, and murdering and, and taking bribes and there's all this kind of evil going on, it's just probably, you know, it's just going to progress and get worse in our society. That's not what we want. And as we see those kind of desires welling up inside of us that we're willing to do things that are wrong, we have to understand that our hearts are wrong. There's something wrong inside of our hearts. And we need to feel guilty about that. And we need to be afraid. Because the picture throughout the Bible is that God judges the people who are living a continuously rebellious life. And that guilt and that fear should drive us and motivate us to, uh, to try to figure out what we can do to change. And so change needs to happen. But if we, if we make that everything to change, it won't be enough. found that in my life. Maybe you found it in yours. If all my motivation to change and to repent is fear of going to hell and receiving judgment, over time I will find a way to ignore that truth or to, to justify what I'm doing and think that it's okay for that God's somehow going to forgive me in that. That's the way a lot of people are. Fear doesn't really drive us to change, not as much as hope. Not as much as love. That's what drives us to change. We need to have, uh, in order to repent, we need to see our sin. That's a part of it. But we really need to see what God has done for us in giving Jesus. What he says here, Zion shall be redeemed. That's what God has done for us. We sang about it. God has redeemed us. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 and following, you see Peter talking about our redemption. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Fear is good. Fear is normal. Fear is okay. But know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see how he's, he's bringing up our redemption. Ransom, redeem, very similar. Ransom is to pay a price to buy back. Redeem is to pay a price to buy back. And he says, you weren't ransomed with silver or gold. You were ransomed with the blood of Jesus. How did God redeem by justice and redeem by righteousness? Well, he redeemed by Jesus. He gave the sacrifice for us. If that sacrifice doesn't mean anything to us, we won't change. The truth is, you and I, we change if we want to. We only do what we want to do. If we waste our time and, and do things that are useless, it's because we want to do those things. 
And if we don't want to do them, then we'll find a way to stop doing them. We'll find a way to overcome them. And maybe we've got addictive tendencies towards things that are, uh, that are evil, but if we really want to change, we'll put barriers, we'll talk to people, we'll find help, we will seek a way to get out of that. And we're not going to put that much effort in because of fear whenever the truth is we don't see the consequences of our actions. So fear doesn't drive me to change whenever I do something wrong and I know there's consequences way later. I'm tempted to just keep doing the wrong thing and hope that I can repent later and still avoid the consequences. What really drives change inside of us right now is not a fear of future consequence, but an understanding of the past grace that was given to us that we didn't deserve. And that creates in us a heart, a passion, a love for God that says, how could I do these things anymore? Things that God hates. How could I allow myself to just remain unchanged even whenever I know that the God who loves me and gave his son for me wants me to be a part of the righteous city of God? wants me to shine a light for everyone to see. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That's who we're called to be. And we have to have such an an appreciation for what God has done to redeem us from the judgment that we deserve. And we think, how could we go on living selfishly? How could we not give him everything? And we have to be willing to make those changes in our lives. We have to look at our sin and hate our sin. And that's the process. That's what God wanted from his people all throughout time. He wanted a new heart and a new spirit within them. Do you have that within you? It's easy to look around at everybody else and maybe make judgments about them, but what really matters is for you to evaluate yourself and decide and determine Do I have a heart and a spirit that loves God more than I love this world? That appreciates the sacrifice he's made for us. Enough to give up the evils that I've been engaged in. That's willing to submit to a life spent understanding and knowing who God is. So that I can be more like him and provide others with knowledge and understanding of how wonderful he is. That's what you're called to. That's what we're all called to. Throughout the book of Ephesians, we see that we're all given different ministries in the body of Christ, and we work together to accomplish the function of being Christ on the earth, showing everyone in the world what Christ is like. And we can't do that if we don't repent, we don't change. We're all at different stages in this. And God is patient and understanding, He's long suffering with us as we make mistakes. But the main thing is to have a good heart. That's what he cares about. That's the most important thing. Do you have an evil, rebellious heart? Or do you have a submissive heart that loves God and wants to serve him? If you have a a heart that loves God and wants to serve him, uh, then, then continue to press on in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your failures. Continue to know that God loves you and that that is what God's looking for. And trust that the blood of Jesus 
has paid the redemption price to bring you into that city and to, uh, to call you a citizen thereof. If you've not yet submitted your life to Christ, maybe you've uh, gone through the process of being baptized and you've come to church services and you've just gone through all the motions of doing the things that everybody else seems to be doing, but you haven't really changed inside your heart. You've not really given yourself up to the life that God has called you to. You love this world more than you love God. I hope that you'll see and understand before it's too late. That's not enough. That's not what God calls you to. And I know repentance is hard, but that's what he calls us to. And I hope that you'll be encouraged to make that change tonight. If there's anybody here that has any needs, will you please come and let us know those needs as we stand and as we sing.